Hi, Flourishing Therapreneurs. I wanted to hop on and share that our course Flourishing in Private Practice is coming spring 2022. If you are a pre-licensed student, trainee, associate, or even a licensed therapist that perhaps is either wanting to learn more about strengthening your private practice or curious to take the leap from agency to being your own boss, this course will walk you through all the steps. From the basics of setting up your business structure, creating your brand, building your reputation in the field, and strengthening your systems to help your business flourish. This course is filled to the brim with tangible examples, templates, and structure to help your business thrive and for you to grow and flourish personally and professionally. This course will be open for enrollment for two weeks in the spring, and then we'll close until the fall for a second round of enrollment. If this is you and you're wanting in, go to our website at theflourishingtherapreneur.com to join our mailing list and to be the first to know when the doors open. We also have a free download on our website called 10 Steps to Starting a Private Practice available for you today. So if you're wanting to get started sooner or dip your feet into the idea, don't wait another moment. All right, enjoy the episode and looking forward to continuing to grow and flourish together as therapists and entrepreneurs, as therapreneurs. Let's go. Welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast, a podcast that equips therapists to thrive in business, expand their reach, and create flourishing and meaningful lives, both personally and professionally. I'm your host, Claire Blakey. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice. I believe in being a multi-passionate therapist. You can have a thriving, financially impactful business be a leader in the community, and also a business entrepreneur. You don't have to choose, and your impact as a clinician can go beyond the therapy room. I believe that you can be a therapist and an entrepreneur, a therapreneur, and I believe that every therapist deserves the tools, community, and resources to build thriving businesses and flourishing lives. I pair my passion and previous career in PR, marketing, and blogging with my education and experience as a clinician to equip therapists like you who are multi-passionate and wanting to pursue additional opportunities to grow your skill set and expand your reach. So what are we waiting for? Let's get going. Let's create impact and build flourishing lives and businesses we're proud of. Here we go. and welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast. I am so glad you're here. If you want to take a moment and just introduce yourself to the audience, maybe a little bit about who you are, your background, and what you do. Hi, Claire. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and be able to talk to you and get all your um, insight and knowledge and wisdom and hopefully share a little bit of something in return. Um, I'm not a therapist, but I'm a, uh, registered dietitian, nutritionist, and also a certified intuitive eating counselor. Um, I have a private practice in, uh, a, a private group practice now in Thousand Oaks, California. Um, we have right now, there are seven of us dietitians and growing, um, it's called nourished with kindness and we're just, um, focusing solely on, um, intuitive eating, working with individuals with eating disorders, disordered eating, um, or helping people with maybe GI or hormonal issues through a health at every size, um, and weight inclusive lens. Um, 
so that's, that's me. <laughs> awesome. Well, and I'm so glad you're here. And I know that anyone that's listening to the flourishing therapeneur most likely is either a therapist or pre-licensed and has hopes to become a therapist. Um, and so maybe they're wondering why is a registered dietitian on the podcast today? And, um, one of the heartbeats that I have for this podcast and for the courses that we do is really the concept of learning from other industries. And um, I think it's very Mm -hmm. clear that the therapy industry has a ways to go in terms of equipping um, therapists with business skills. And one of the best ways to do that is to learn how other people grow their business and successful businesses. And for you, it's a group business, a group practice. And I know from some of the conversations we've had outside of this, because for those listening, Alyssa and I both serve on a board for IDEP, which is the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals. Um, so we've connected in a lot of different ways, whether that's through client uh, collaboration or um, just mutual colleague support. Um, but we've bonded over the fact that in grad school, whether you're becoming a therapist or a dietitian, <laughs> sometimes those pieces of how to be a business owner aren't taught to us, or maybe that is the goal. Maybe that's what people talk about, but there's not like a how-to guide. And so I would love to hear a little bit about your experiences today, Alyssa, and just, you know, one, like the curiosity of like how you believed in yourself and had the courage to even be an entrepreneur and a business owner, but also maybe some of your, your steps along the way. So maybe for those that are listening, do you want to just kind of share a little bit about what is it like the process like to become a a registered dietitian? I'm imagining it's similar to becoming a licensed therapist, but you went to grad school. What was that process like? So, yeah. So, um, I did. So I'm a second career dietitian. So like you, I started out in a different industry and then, uh, shifted about, you know, five years in, um, I went back to grad school. I worked in, um, PR and, um, healthcare public affairs in DC for like four or five years before, uh, deciding to go back to school and become a dietitian. Um, so we have to probably, somewhat, uh, similar to becoming a therapist, go through a kind of, uh, core course, um, year. And then we start, um, with an internship. Our internship is only a year, usually about a year of, um, but it's all unpaid. We can't get paid for any of our hours. And then at the end we sit for the exam and then we're done. So we don't have to sit for an exam and then accrue more hours and get another exam, which is, I think more like a therapist. We're just, we do all of our schooling, which takes, you know, I don't know, anywhere between like two and however many years. Um, some people even do that, uh, for undergrad. And then, um, and then you do about a year of internship rotations and then sit for the exam and then hopefully you pass and you're done. Um, so yeah, so we had moved out to California, um, when I decided I wanted to go back to school to become a dietitian. So that is, uh, I applied to one program that actually had the internship component as part of the program. And I just kind of put all my eggs in one basket and, <laughs> and applied and got in thankfully, and, um, was able to go through that program and 
um, I knew that as part of it, I wanted to specialize in both, uh, eating disorders and women's health were, you know, two of the things that I knew that I wanted to work on, um, and work in those, with those populations. I had no idea what that meant, um, or what, (laughs) what exactly that looked like. Like, you know, I had worked, uh, a little bit about like my personal background. I struggled with an eating disorder, um, throughout high school, um, and growing up. And so I had worked with a dietitian and a therapist. Um, I don't know why it never occurred to me like, Oh, maybe I could become a therapist, but the thought never crossed my mind. I just (laughs) assumed I was going to go into like the medical field or some reason. And, um, but I had a really good relationship with my dietitian. Um, so then I figured I would go back to school and become an eating disorder dietitian, um, because my dietitian had helped me so much. Mm -hmm. I just had no idea like what that meant. Um, I always like to say, like, I don't know what she did to me. Like, <laughs> like she did some kind of like magic, like my therapist and my dietitian, they did something to like help me <laughs> like <laughs> recover, but I have no idea what they did. So I was like, I have to learn how to do that thing, you know? So that's what well, it sounds was like it was my really goal. Impactful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it really, um, made a huge difference. And I, I think even, you know, I feel like she was really ahead of the, the curve even because this was, you know, uh, over 15 years ago, probably now, um, not old or anything, but, um, she, <laughs> she was really, you know, kind of ahead of the curve. There was not a lot of resources on how to be an eating disorder dietitian back then. So all things considered, I feel like <laughs> she did a really uh, great job in um, supporting me during that time when there was probably very little resources on how to actually be an eating disorder dietitian. I feel like yeah. now um, there's so many more resources for us, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and eating yeah. disorder therapists too. Um, yeah. So it sounds like your own lived experiences have like almost birthed this passion for your career path, for that career switch. And that's kind of the model that you were kind of, you know, either subconsciously or whatever that looked like following after, whether that was, you know, informing the specific specialty that you wanted to do as a dietitian. Um, Mm -hmm. but also it sounds like that's also where your success is now, even as you are a business owner, even as you are, you know, a group practice owner that you have continued to specialize in this, continue to perfect it, continue to grow and learn and be a valuable resource. So that's really encouraging. I think. (laughs) I feel like you just think about how much we're learning about eating disorders and how much, you know, everybody's eating disorder is so individual to them and everybody's relationship with food is so individual to them. So for me, I'm always trying to approach it with a lot of like curiosity of just for me, the, you know, the most interesting thing is trying to understand how my clients see food or see their bodies or the ways that they think about things, you know, and as somebody who has been in recovery for a long time, um, how maybe what, what other things or other perspectives might they benefit from Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, thinking about, or, or trying to think about something in a different way, because, you know, hopefully, um, 
I can understand some of the different ways that they're currently thinking about things and then what other perspectives might be helpful and what, what other ways that they can think about food, what other ways can they, um, maybe think about their body or thinking thinking about movement and physical activity, um, that would be more aligned with their values and with their recovery. Um, Mm. so that for me is like something that I can always learn more resources and more perspectives and more tools to try to, to help different people. Um, so for me that there's always more to learn. (laughs) We're always going to be keep learning in this field, you know? So true. Well, maybe walk me through like, um, as much as you feel comfortable sharing just your journey to launching your private practice. And I believe you started out on your own and then eventually switched to group or could you kind of walk us through your timeline in terms of how it evolved in the evolution of your business? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, great, uh, great question. So I did, um, I was in grad school and I knew I wanted to work, uh, with individuals with eating disorders, we have to do, you know, all sorts of different rotations. Um, one of our rotations has to be in a, um, a hospital, a clinical setting. Um, so I did my, um, internship. I did two of my rotations at, uh, a big hospital in Los Angeles. And I actually had a really good experience there. And I learned a lot just about, um, what we do as far as, you know, in the hospital setting for, uh, patients who are really ill, especially like post surgeries or, um, really acute GI issues, which also (laughs) gave me a lot of information for, um, working with individuals with eating disorders because a lot of our clients have GI issues as well, um, because their digestion and metabolism were affected by the disorder. So, um, that is really, that was so beneficial to me to learn all these different, you know, if you can go to a hospital and see the sickest of the sickest, um, patients, then it's really, you know, people can come at you with different medical questions and, um, and how it pertains to nutrition. And you'll be like, uh, no, I know like you looked up on Google that like you need to be on some specific diet for this particular, you know, uh, condition, but that there's no scientific evidence to prove that and stuff like that. So it just gives you a lot more for me. It gave me a lot more confidence in my knowledge as a dietitian. Um, and I knew eventually I wanted to go and work with individuals with eating disorders. So I was doing a lot of continuing education and supervision, um, in intuitive eating, um, at, and, um, getting more information about, uh, eating disorders as well. Um, building up a lot of hopefully knowledge base during that time, kind of on the side, uh, outside of work. And then, um, eventually I started a small private practice, uh, and probably about a year after that. And I was just, you know, I was trying to decrease my hours at the hospital. I ended up working at another hospital as well to kind of supplement it. And I was trying to kind of phase out the hospital work and build up, um, my private practice. And then my husband got a new job and we moved like clear across the city of Los Angeles. And so I kind of closed up shop and didn't see clients on the side anymore. Um, I just passed off all my clients to other local dietitians and then kind of moved because no one was really doing telehealth at that time was, um, 
it was a bit before. So I was, it, yeah, I, it was pre-pandemic. So I was uh, in like uh, the South Bay of um, of Los Angeles. So like Torrance, Redondo Beach area. And then we moved to Thousand Oaks. So then Northwest of LA. So then I, I started working for a treatment center, um, which was a really great experience. Um, did that pretty much until the beginning of 2020, um, in the pandemic. And, um, then, uh, decided I missed seeing clients, um, in private practice. So started building up my caseload in private practice. Um, also I had started gaining some understanding of working with insurance. Mm. Um, so I had previously gotten in network with an insurance company, um, just to try and get clients, um, in when I was back in the South Bay, but I didn't really know how to bill insurance. Like, you know, actually it was kind of funny. I applied and they never even sent me anything in the mail. I just started to get phone calls from people saying like, I found you on my insurance website. You're in network with my insurance. And I'm like, I don't think so. (laughs) And I tried to call the insurance company and was like, so if we have a contract, like, could you send me a copy? Because I'd love to know what you pay, you know, super weird. Um, and thankfully I've since gotten to know a lot of other great dietitians who work with insurance companies. Um, and I've learned a lot about working with insurance. Um, so now my practice, um, I decided to really lean into taking insurance because of how difficult it is to get eating disorder support, um, Mm. through your insurance, um, which I totally understand. There's very, you know, insurance does not reimburse at a rate that is, um, (laughs) I would say like cohesive to have like supporting a business (laughs) for the most part. Um, cause you, you know, you have to kind of do a lot of work for, um, coordinating with insurance and then they pay you less per hour than what you could probably charge out of pocket. So it's, it's not very conducive. Um, but I realized how much, yeah, I started when I started, um, accepting clients again, I just was, inundated with people who really needed an eating disorder dietitian and really needed to use their insurance. Mm. Um, especially in the pandemic, so many people were struggling with food and so many people were struggling financially. Um, so it just kind of kept growing and growing. And I just sort of reached, um, a point pretty quickly where I was like, well, I'm, I have these at that point I had gotten a second insurance contract and then I got a third and then I got a fourth overtime. And, um, I was like, well, I can, I've learned how to use insurance. Um, I can either turn a bunch of clients away who need help Mm -hmm. or I can grow into a group practice. Um, so I decided to grow into a group practice. Um, kind of made more sense to me with insurance contracts as well, because then you can have one individual, um, like I have a billing admin to help with the billing for all of us dietitians. So instead of me just paying somebody to just help with my clients, I have somebody who's calling insurance companies for all of our clients. And so it's a, a lot more 
Yeah. Um, it, it seemed to make a lot more sense. Um, can we pause for a second? Cause I feel like there's a lot with what you're saying that I want to kind of like deepen or like understand. So for anyone listening, it sounds like you one, like we're sticking to what you're passionate about eating disorders, body image. Mm-hmm. You also were meeting a tangible need. So you're saying, you know, during this time, during the yeah. pandemic, you know, people were struggling financially, but also really struggling with body image. So it sounds like your business started to boom because it was meeting really practical needs. It was helping financially yeah. provide opportunity for people that needed it. But also you had a very specific niche that was um, really relevant for what culturally and what people were experiencing. And I really like the piece that you said about you could have just started turning people away, but instead you almost just like what I'm hearing is like, you know, believed in yourself and me thought, how could I reach more people? How could I (laughs) grow my income more? How could I expand what I do? And I think that's something that a lot of us have a hard time really believing in. Like there was something about you that felt like I could do this. Like I'm on one panel now I'm on two panels. I'm on three. Like, I, I hear like this go getterness in you, which is really encouraging to hear. And I'm imagining that's also encouraging anyone listening. Yeah. Um, well that, thank you. That's so nice. Um, you know, I, I would say there were certain parts that, um, you know, are, are a theme today. Everything is figure outable. There were certain things that I was like, well, you know, uh, I don't know how to do this, um, but I could probably figure it out because, you know, I'm generally, you know, I've, I've figured, I figured out how to get through grad school. I figured out how to, you know, I don't know, like move through internships. Like I've gotten jobs before, like, you know, I, I can, I know how to Google, you know, <laughs> like I can probably ask somebody else who's done it or, you know, that's, that was such a big, um, thing for me is almost immediately I, I started getting some supportive resources. Um, I got from a couple different mentors. I love doing supervision and mentoring. Um, I have other people who, have built very similar business models, uh, to mine who I've gotten supervision with and support and coaching from, which is just so helpful. Um, they give me different things to think about all the time. Um, whether it's as a dietitian, just clinically or through growing my business, um, there's Mm -hmm. no way that you can just know everything. And actually that was one of the biggest fears that I had was, um, I don't know what I don't know. Um, and so how many people who have done it before that I can say, what things am I not thinking about that Mm. come up, you know, that came up for you that I need to, you know, be aware of and start thinking about. And so having those resources in place, which is why I love what, what you're doing with, um, you know, with this business is trying to give people more resources and more, um, of a network to ask, you know, and a community to ask others, Mm -hmm. um, what do they, how have they, you know, um, navigated different situations? How are they, able to get through certain barriers, um, and what other things are you not thinking about, or you should take into consideration before making a certain decision. So that has been really, really important to me. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think, uh, 
the scariest part when it came to hiring for me was, um, I'm not an accountant. I'm not great. I'm, you know, I can calculate like a, a tube feed, um, for a hospital, but math is really not, not my best. <laughs> and I can't do like those Excel spreadsheets that, um, are, have, all the equations in them. Like it just, I can do like a subtotal and that's about it. Like I can't, (laughs) it's not my forte. Um, so I'm very fortunate, um, that my husband did go to business school. And that's one thing that he really, really helped me with was starting to figure out what are the different costs and how do you, um, break it down, uh, so that you're paying people enough, but you're also, um, making a sustainable business model because I really yeah. wanted to pay everybody that I hired really competitively because I wanted to get like a plus practitioners. Mm. Um, so that was probably one of the biggest things was just like, okay, if I grow, I know that my expenses are going to grow, but I don't even know what other expenses I'm going to have yet or, yeah. you know, and all those types of things. Um, so I was really fortunate to get between, um, you know, and I just, I remember very clearly thinking about how am I going to figure out how much I can afford to pay somebody based on what insurance pays me, especially because I have four different insurance contracts. And like, I don't know what percentage of my client comes from these different insurances versus who pays out of the pocket and what's, how much of that is going to change. And it's just kind of like a moving target. And my husband was like very, like, you know, he's like, this is like, (laughs) I think it was fun for him. It was kind of sad. Like I was next to tears and he's like, this is a fun problem. And I was like, you're the worst. Um, but he was like, this is just like, you have, you know, this many buckets of clients, you all get paid a different amount. You just have to look at like how many clients you have who have each insurance, make it a percentage, figure out your average, that you make per client that comes through your practice, even though it was just me at the time. And then, um, you know, this, then you, we kind of did it like profit, profit first. Um, you know, you want to have this percentage go to profit, this percent go to expenses, this percent go to taxes, this percent go to, um, the, the practitioner. Um, so we kind of just did that. Um, And I remember he like made this spreadsheet for me and I wouldn't even start entering numbers in the spreadsheet. And he was like, why aren't like, I made, why haven't you done this? (laughs) Like what, what's stopping you? And I'm just like, I'm, I'm going to be wrong. Like the numbers that I'm going to put in are wrong. And he's like, you, he's like, who cares if they're wrong? (laughs) Like it's a guess, you know? And he was like, literally just put in numbers. Like, anyone can do this. It's not hard. You just have to start playing with numbers and figure Mm -hmm. out what works. And I was just like, so afraid that it wasn't going to work or I wasn't going to be able to find the right number. And I wasn't going to be able to do it that I was stopping myself from even like Mm -hmm. trying. Cause just because like, that's not within my like zone of comfort is doing all this stuff with numbers and calculations. Um, well, what you're saying is so relatable though, because like, I feel like that's such a, like, a, 
a coping mechanism or a way of like avoiding it mm-hmm. where it's like mm-hmm. it almost like paralyzes you, right? Like the fear of what you're not good at, the fear of making a mistake, the fear of not liking the number, the fear of the reality that my goal might not work. And I think that's something that a lot of us struggle with. And I, I really like too that like you're mentioning, I mean, not all of us have a husband that can, you know, do the equations or walk us through it, but we can also contract that out. We can also hire someone to give us consultation or yeah. wisdom financially, totally. all those kind of pieces. And I think that the piece that I'm hearing from what you're sharing is you had someone show you, you had someone do the piece that you couldn't do. Maybe those fancy calculations yeah. in Excel and maybe someone to educate you and someone to hold your hand and say, it's yeah. okay if you make a mistake, but you need to begin. Yeah. If you don't begin, it's not going to happen. <laughs> He, I mean, he, he made a very, um, (laughs) a very, uh, I would say complicated. He wouldn't think it was complicated to me. It was complicated spreadsheet and it did not have to be that complicated. You could say like, oh, you want, you know, I've heard of people say like a third, a third, a third, a third goes to the business and overhead, a third goes to taxes, a third goes to the employee. You know, I've Mm -hmm. heard people do, you know. 40, 30, 30, I've heard, you know, like I've heard 50, you know, and it kind of just depends. Um, you can sort of noodle around with it. Um, so he, he was kind of, uh, making more, uh, in detailed budgets that like don't even apply anymore. Cause now we have like way more practitioners <laughs> than what we had, um, started budgeting for. But, um, you know, all I had to do was just see what numbers worked. Um, and see if I could make the numbers work. Um, but you know, you can even talk to a business coach or, um, somebody Mm -hmm. who has a business model that you're kind of trying to emulate and see, um, what other costs, you know, they might, uh, say that you need to think about or take into consideration as you grow or things like that. And then be able to do that on your own. It's, it's really, you know, he was like, anyone can do this. It's not, it's not hard. Like, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just stressful (laughs) more than anything. And so really like pushing through that and, um, starting to play around with it. And, you know, it's like, you know, you can tell that like, I'm a perfectionist just from a recovering perfectionist, I would say, um, (laughs) perfectionist trying not to be a perfectionist in training. Um, (laughs) just because, yeah, I was so afraid of doing it wrong that I was just not going to do it at all. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's also, there's a a really good book by the, uh, Rejma Sajani who wrote girls who code, um, called brave, not perfect. And it Mm -hmm. is how, well, it's, you know, how as women, we grow up with this idea of, we need to be perfect and, any, any, you know, the, the good grades and the, um, the accomplishments are really, um, geared toward perfection. Whereas boys are really praised for taking chances and doing Mm. something different and being brave, um, and kind of pioneering. And you see that in business as, as we kind of get older, like, um, you know, even in our society, like women who are going out there and making, taking big risks with their business or putting a lot of time into their effort, time and effort into their business, as opposed to just like doing the right thing, 
you know, doing the quote, I'm using bunny quotes when I say right thing, (laughs) but doing the right thing all the time, as far as just like showing up and being professional and looking a certain way, as opposed to men that are going out there and taking these big business risks and taking Mm -hmm. big swings and stuff like that are much more, um, our society looks a lot kinder on men doing stuff like that than, than us. So I think also having my husband there to say like, you have like what you're doing is working. You can scale this. It's not like, it's not that hard was Mm -hmm. really, um, from his perspective, he's like, why not? But for me, I'm like, can I do this? Like, (laughs) you know, I really like not to stereotype men and women, but no, but like, I like that perspective and I like that book plug too. Cause that is a really good book. I read it as well. And it's, it's nice to be reminded of that, especially, I mean, Unfortunately, the therapist community tends to be a lot more female dominated. So I'm imagining a lot of listeners are relating to what you're sharing um, in terms of just stereotypes and gender norms and all the things. But that piece of leaning into being brave. And I like the tagline that we talked about, about yeah. everything being figure outable, because I feel like that requires bravery, right? It requires bravery to not know and to Google it, to ask someone for help or I'm even just circling back to like your business model as you have been growing. It hasn't been, I'm going to make more money. I'm going to take on more clients personally. It's saying I have a limit, but I know other people want a better income. And I know that the formula to get them a better income and my system is working. Or it's also, like you said too, hiring an admin that does the billing because that's your time and that's your you know, bandwidth that you'd be sacrificing. So it's being brave to think outside of the box and I think sometimes, especially as a business owner, that doesn't mean that you're doing everything. Sometimes that means you're hiring more people so that you can reach more people. And that's exactly the model that you're describing, which I think is so inspiring, especially because with the mental health pandemic as well, there is such a burnout rate right now for therapists. And there's also therapists that are realizing I'm not getting paid enough. And maybe I, they finally are having the courage to say, I need to leave this agency because I think I could make more money in private practice. Or maybe they have a vision similar to or a specific niche that they want to pursue and really serve that population. So I'm feeling really encouraged. Um, I'm wondering if we can switch gears a little bit because we only have a little bit more time and I just want to keep picking your brain, but along the lines of every, everything is figure outable. Can you kind of walk me through, just kind of keep everybody Mm -hmm. grounded. What does it actually look like day to day to be a business owner of a group practice? Like what are some of the tasks you do? What are some of the meetings that you do? What are some of the things you don't enjoy doing, but are part of that description that you didn't realize? (laughs) Great question. Great question. I feel like it, it changes a lot. You know, I'm currently trying to bring down my caseload, um, so that I have more bandwidth for managing the business. Um, you know, instead of working in the business as much, being able to work on the business sometimes. And I want to also, um, kind of diversify our revenue streams, which, That's a whole nother topic, but, um, we're, you know, on a day-to-day basis, you know, I'm, I really try to check in with all my, um, everybody on my team, um, see how they're doing, see if there's anything that they need help with, if they're stuck, um, with anything, um, I'm usually doing something 
related to some insurance issue that's coming up, which is not always my favorite thing to do, but also very gratifying when you can get something resolved for somebody and, you know, make sure that they're getting taken care of, um, and not getting, you know, not having insurance, um, just push, push them around, push us around. Um, gosh, what else? We just moved into an office space. So I'm spending a lot of time just like setting up the office space and, and making, ordering whatever we need and, and trying to get that set up. So that's been like in the last few months has taken up a big period of my time, but I don't think that's always going to take up a huge chunk of my time. Well, and I feel like you're being so Um, And then of course seeing and supporting my clients. I was going to say, I feel like you're being so humble too, because for anyone listening, it's not just one office space. You have like, what, eight spaces for your business, like eight different We rooms. do. So that's we like have, a very- We have eight offices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a big endeavor. That's just an example of like how you're growing and how your business is evolving. It's not just a one room deal. It's like, there's a lot happening. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's been- um, really exciting. Um, and I think some of my, uh, team members love decorating a lot more than I do. And they have like a great style, like I for style. And I'm just like, I think blue is a nice color, right? Like, does everyone like blue? Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, decoration and interior did not design is like, so not in my creative wheelhouse, but I've, it's been really fun and, uh, it's really great to set everything up and really, uh, one of my coaches and my team really pushed me to get the office space because still we're seeing so many people virtually. Um, I would say at least 80% of our clients are virtual still. Um, but it's so nice to be able to come in and see one another, um, and really start to grow like a company culture. Mm-hmm. I think is really important. So that's kind of something that I've had to, um, you know, not had to, but also wanted to think about and think about supporting everybody in a different way, just besides having them feel supported by me, but also have the community of the team and the company, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's so much that goes into it. It's not just the structure of a business, but it's also leadership. It's also, like making the company culture feel a certain way and not just growing financially, but growing relationally with your team. And it sounds like there's a lot of Mm -hmm. moving pieces to that. Um, I'm wondering, I know we talked about this a little bit right before we started recording, but you mentioned um, there's a couple ways that your business has evolved recently. You talked about 401k and like trying to really give your, um, your colleagues in your, um, your community just more, um, from their opportunity to work with you. So could you kind of maybe walk us through really quickly, just like, who are people that you're asking those questions to? How are you even beginning to set those structures up? And if you're still in the weeds of it, that's okay. That's still something that we can learn from. Um, but how do you even begin to offer that for you? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great question. When I first started hiring people, I was so, unsure. I I really, I had a lot of imposter syndrome about hiring people. I was like, why would anyone like leave another job and like want to come and work 
for me? Like, <laughs> for what reason would someone do that? Um, so I had a lot of imposter syndrome about it, and I had to get a lot of uh, supervision and support around that. But uh, really, I, it was a very open dialogue right away with my first hires saying, like, okay, I we are a startup. I cannot offer you every benefit. I can't offer you all the things that, um, you know, a big company can offer you. Uh, but if I'm going to start, what is important to you? Like what things would you want me to prioritize first? Um, whether it's health insurance, 401k, um, paid time off, um, continue paid continuing education opportunities, um, the highest possible hourly rate that I could give you. Um, like I can't do all of these things for my first two, three employees. Um, but which of these things is most important to you and let's go from there. So it was always been kind of an open dialogue. And then as time has moved along and we've grown, um, and we have a little bit more, um, I, I just generally have more comfort with the finances and what our budgets mm-hmm. are. Um, and I can see what, what the budgets are and how cash flow is looking. Then I can say, okay, I think we're ready to start doing something else or we hire more people. And I, I started to feel like, you know, over the summer, people were starting to ask me about health insurance a little bit more. Um, so then thankfully, um, one of my, um, my, one of my business coaches, um, had recommended I use Gusto for payroll. It's my payroll system that I use. Um, and she had recommended that. And she said, if you're ever thinking about healthcare, um, you know, Gusto, if you want to sponsor me, that'd be great. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) I get get no feedback or I get no, um, commission off of this commission. Thank you from Gusto. But, um, she had really recommended Gusto to me because she said, there's a lot of ways um, to get uh, health insurance through Gusto and some other benefits. If you're ever thinking of growing into those benefits, it's um, they kind of have integrations for that more than like say QuickBooks does. Okay. Um, so I had started with Gusto for that reason, and then I kind of started looking into it through Gusto um, and kind of looking at the rates. And you can actually set aside, like you can set it up that. Um, the company puts in a certain amount and then the, um, employee puts in a certain amount for, um, for, uh, uh, paying for the premiums. Oh, the premiums. Oh no, sorry. This is for health insurance. Yeah. For the premiums. Um, so now, um, I am starting, my accountant actually really suggested that the company start offering some 401k and retirement opportunities. She's like, not just for you, like mostly she was like, you probably should do this for yourself, but also (laughs) it's a good idea to offer or, you know, to your employees, it's not going to cost you that much. And it's going to be, um, really beneficial. There's, I think tax benefits of it, but I, I have no idea. Tax law is like also something I have no idea about. Um, but but it's also so she kind of recommended I start. Yeah, it's also figure outable. Get a good accountant. Um, I I actually switched accountants um, earlier this year, which was kind of stressful. Um, but I landed with a really great accounting firm that does a lot with group practices, and so I feel really really comfortable with them. Um, so I, I I really I really like working with them, and I feel. Um, 
really supported. Um, so they're kind of giving me a lot of different things to think about. They suggested I start looking into the 401k. So that's something I'm trying to, um, decide on right now, um, to start offering 401k benefits, um, for myself, but also everybody who works in my practice. And then, you know, um, you can also start out small with things like that, like with anything, whether it's health insurance or, 401k, you can always start small and then increase as you feel more comfortable. Um, you know, you don't have to start at max 3% matching for a 401k, like a big company would do that. But even if you have a 401k and you're able to do like 1% matching, like it's still better than than not doing it for the employee. Yeah, exactly. So like, don't put too much pressure on yourself to, you know, match a big mm-hmm. company because also your employees probably get a lot more benefits, um, like being able to manage their own schedule or like the yeah. benefits of being at a smaller company where they have a little bit more of a say in a lot of different things, mm-hmm. um, than being at a big company. So you can't really like, um, you, you can't, um, put too much pressure on yourself to yeah. offer everything all at once because you're still growing, you know? Mm-hmm. I really love that. And I know our time is starting to wrap up, <laughs> but when I hear you sharing that and kind of just the different pieces that you've shared today, it sounds like a big takeaway is like, it's okay to grow slowly. Like even the piece that you were saying of like totally. asking your employees, Hey, what is valuable to you? Because I want you here in the long run. And yeah. so what are steps that are valuable in order for me to make you feel supported or make you feel like you're getting the best out of this practice? And also like totally listed so many different people, whether that's your husband, your admin, your additional <laughs> dietitians, your accountant. It sounds like one of the pieces about figuring things out is figuring things out and also learning to delegate and learning to, to not do it all on your own. And you even tagged in like, oh, I have a business coach or I have this. And it's like, it really is just sparking these ideas of like, <laughs> In order to grow a business, it can be something that you have on your own, but you need to have a team. And sometimes that's creating your team. And it sounds like that's something that you've done really well is just like recognizing your limitations and recognizing your strengths and using that time for that, but also knowing when to delegate out. Absolutely. Because there's no way that we have, I mean, especially like I've never gone to business school. You haven't gone to business school. Like we don't, there's so many things that we don't know. Like I'm, I don't know very much about, um, accounting or tax law, like business taxes was, Mm. um, another big concern when I first hired somebody because I hire W2 employees, not independent contractors. So you pay part of their taxes, which I did not know. And so you have to consider that when you're trying to hire someone. So there's, um, there's so many different things that just setting up a network in place of people that you can ask random questions to as they kind Mm -hmm. of come up in your mind and you can shoot them an email or a text, um, to ask a question and say, you know, how can I pick your brain about this particular thing? Or can we talk about this in our next meeting? So helpful. Um, there's no way that you can know everything and figure everything out, um, in a vacuum. Um, even consulting Google, (laughs) but you know, I'm a dietitian. So I always have to tell people like, don't believe everything you read on the internet. So sometimes (laughs) it's good to have a reputable source, um, to ask questions to. So, um, 
yeah, I just don't feel like you have to figure everything out on your own because it is figure outable and you also deserve to get the support that you need to be Mm. able to do that. I love that. Well, thank you, Alyssa, so much for your time and for sharing your journey and your experiences. I know I feel really encouraged imagining that the audience is also just feeling invigorated by this conversation. So thank you so much for sharing and for being on the podcast. Um, For anyone listening, how can they follow along or connect with you if they are curious to learn more? Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I'm so glad that you're doing this. Um, It's going to be such an amazing resource, I think, even obviously to therapists or therapists-to-be, but also, you know, anyone who's pursuing counseling or coaching or even being a dietitian as well. Um, I think this is going to be so awesome. Um, Anyway, I'm Alyssa Callahan. My website is nourishedwithkindness.com. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram at nourished with kindness. Awesome. Thank you, Alyssa. All right. We'll see you I'll soon. I'll give you my social security number, my, <laughs> um, direct phone number. Just in case you want it for future. <laughs> Just text me anytime. It's fine. <laughs> Not doing anything. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you, Alyssa. Thank you for tuning in to the flourishing therapreneur podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as that helps other clinicians and therapreneurs find our community and thrive through our offerings. Want to take your business a step further? Visit theflourishingtherapreneur.com or our Instagram with the same handle. Connect with our free community or sign up for an upcoming course to help cultivate your thriving business and endeavors so you can flourish personally and professionally. Until next time, I'm your host, Claire Blakey, and I believe you deserve to flourish as a therapreneur.